0: This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at We've gotten so many letters from all of you talking about how hard it is to raise teenagers. So for this week, we decided to present an encore episode from season one. My child is turning into a teenager. How do I handle it? I feel like everyone is so irritable. I know we're at various phases of this pandemic, but I'm at the incredibly irritable phase. And I feel like we all are in my household at this point.
1: You know, the phrase I have seen over and over again on social media and places is that sense of hitting a wall. Yeah. That people are just like, come on. Is this still going on?
0: I mean, I'm doing the chocolate, like you say, something to look forward to in the afternoon, as you recommended. Planned a vacation, might get canceled if we're not vaccinated in the summer. But, it, you know, it, it makes me feel almost like right when I was becoming a teenager, and just cranky. And I'm like, at 41, am I like regressing here?
1: Have (laughs) you (laughs) you become irritable and reactive like a young person?
0: (laughs) Exactly. I know that feeling all too well. And so this letter in our email box really stood out to me. It says, Dear Lisa, love, love, love the podcast. You are doing a great service for parents. My daughter turned 13 in this COVID year, and it has been so hard. Please make an episode on how to handle 13 during COVID times and also how to help them deal with stress. Thanks so much. I just love this one. I know. It's so, because
1: I have to tell you, she speaks for so many. 13 is so hard. I actually have decided over the last couple of years, I think it may be the hardest age of adolescence, hands down. Is it the hormones? Yeah, it's probably the hormones. Um, What we know when we look at the research, actually, is that emotionality peaks in 13. And it's probably the hormones driving that finding because, actually, we talked about this on the last podcast, girls are on the early side of puberty, boys are on the later side, girls hitting it largely around 12, boys hitting it largely around 14. You put that average together and you get some pretty emotional 13 year olds. And yeah. so it's either the hormones or the neurological shifts of puberty where their emotion centers get superpowered and their ability to maintain perspective centers are comparatively weak. They they could become very emotionally overwrought at 13 in a way that they did not at 10. And that they actually won't at
0: 15, 16, 17. Hmm. But I feel like there's nothing you can do to get it right at this age. Well, this is true. (laughs) Because (laughs) in some ways,
1: to me, the reason I'm like, okay, 13, I think 13 is really where so much of the action is with teenagers. It's a bit of a perfect storm. So one element you have is this brand new, the term we use in psychology is they're very emotionally labile which is a term meaning that they are all over the map and everywhere they go on the map is hugely intense. So when they are upset, they are profoundly upset, like doubled over over sobbing upset. When they're excited, they're really, really, really excited. You know, so it's a lot more fun when they're on the happy side of that emotional ability. (laughs) So that is a neurological, biological thing that's happening, which weirds kids out too. And and I think we need to acknowledge to them how strange it feels to have their emotions take on such force all at once. So you've got that storm coming. Then the other thing that contributes to it is at 13, the need to be separate, the need to be seen as um, one's own person takes on real power. Because if you think 13, it's eighth grade, right? You are like, I am done with being a kid. I am my own person now. And in that need to be separate, there is, in its first form, incredible irritation with anything your parents
0: do. But can I tell you, with a 10-year-old, I feel like it's already started. Has it? Totally. You know, you're so annoying, mom. I I hear that quite a bit in my home. I don't know if I'm just the special one.
1: (laughs) Sometimes it does feel like that, right? Like that somehow
0: moms are more annoying. Dad, sometimes I feel like i a pass. Um So what do you do that's so annoying, Rena? You know, if I shut down Xbox or I say, listen, you didn't do your chores, you can't do this. Um, when they don't follow through with their obligations, I, you know, stand firm on it and say, you've got to do this before you can do that. Or, you know, I keep nagging them is what they feel like it when I'm, I'm over and over again asking them to do something and they haven't done it. And that triggers them. So you're annoying because you
1: hold the line. Um, one thing, this is how I annoy my family. I don't call it nagging. I say, oh, would you like a helpful reminder? Okay, which of course well, is incredibly annoying so for me to do. That's good. A it's pretty reminder. good. I'm giving you a helpful reminder. This is not me nagging. This is giving you a helpful reminder. So here's a question. Has it happened yet? And if it hasn't happened yet, it'll come down the pike any minute. Where um, what's annoying about you is... That way you breathe or how you chew. Have you have you hit that level of being annoying to your kids yet?
0: Not yet. No. Okay.
1: Thirteen. 13. <laughs> and this is the part where parents are like, "What is going on? Like, you don't like the way I use my turn signal." Right? Okay. So this is. So you're you're in JV annoyingness as a parent. <laughs> you will hit varsity within the next three years. Um, it, it's quite. Horrible, actually, <laughs> as a parent.
0: I didn't realize there was a varsity team for annoying. Oh, yeah. You'll be varsity annoying. Like,
1: and I I, um, I have moved through varsity annoying with my 17-year-old. I'm now back to just garden variety annoying. <laughs> and I am getting ready to join the varsity team again as my own 10-year-old is going to come around the corner mm. towards, you know, 13 any day. So here's actually, this is one of those moments where it probably does help to be a psychologist who's a parent. Because it is so painful with your 13-year-old when they're like, you're so annoying. Like, why are you wearing that? Like, you look like a dork. You know, like, I mean, that kind of stuff. That they suddenly become very, it gets very personal, right? So what you're describing isn't yet very personal. Like, you're annoying because you hold the line. Yeah, 13, it takes on this very personal, like, I don't like the way you live your life. You know, whether it's how you, you know, wear your glasses on the top of your head. I mean, like, whatever it is. It's like these dumb petty things. And I remember hitting this and being like, really? Like, really? Like, Mm. Mm. this is so, I'm so annoying to you, just being like my own little self. And so what I went to, sometimes when you have to like think, okay, I'm going to intellectualize this to get through this as a mother. The term we use in psychology is the phase of separation individuation. So becoming separate and becoming an individual. And what I started to realize in my own parenting is that anything I did that looked to my daughter or reminded my daughter of an aspect of her personality that she was wanting to have. So for us, it was the fact that I liked Beyonce, and I've liked Beyonce for a really long time. My 13-year-old daughter, my older daughter when she was 13, decided she liked Beyonce and Mm. found it deeply annoying that Mm. I wanted to listen to Beyonce too (laughs) because Beyonce was hers. Okay, so anything I was doing that was like the vision of, you know, my kiddo at thirteen. Well that was off the that was off the table because it was hers. And then because we were still so intertwined. I mean you really are still quite close in a lot of ways, or at least involved in a lot of ways with your thirteen year old. Anything that one does or that I did that was unlike the vision of herself that she had was also annoying. This is where, like let's imagine like post pandemic life, it's eighth grade back to school night, and your kid wants to talk with you about what you're going to wear, because what you're going to wear reflects on them, and they cannot tolerate if you look uncool. And so the, the sum total of this, Rena, I mean, get ready. Anything you do that is like how your kids see themselves is annoying. Anything you do that is unlike how your kid sees themselves is annoying. Everything you do is annoying.
0: So, you know, I don't want to play for this annoying junior varsity or varsity team. <laughs> like, how, Can you teach me how I can be supportive on the sidelines with never having to join this team? Or am I setting myself up by saying it's going to be impossible?
1: I love that you ask. I think what you just gave voice to is the secret fantasy that every parent of a 10 and under has or 11 and under has, which is like, okay. I hear about those snarky teenagers, and I hear how they treat their parents. But you and I, man, we're getting along great right now. You think I'm fun. I think you're fun. I think we're going to be okay. Like, we're just going to, we're just, we're never going into that area. Like, we'll just stay in this happy little space, and you'll do adolescence without it. All right, Rena, it just doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. And the... The things that really help. One is understanding developmentally what's at work, you know why mm-hmm. kids have to do it this way or why they are doing it this way. And another thing that really helps is not taking it personally. And that's hard because when they're going after, you know, dumb little personal things, it feels really personal. Yeah. And so then the challenge is to not take it personally.
0: Mm. It's so hard because you do take it personally, right? You, and, and yeah, I think about my relationship with my parents. Like, I want to be around – this past year has been so hard because I enjoy spending time with them. My in-laws as well. It's the same thing. And so I want my kid to want to be with me all the time, yeah. and I just don't understand – like, surely, Lisa, there's got to be something I can do that that will, you know, I, I can't accept it. And to hear you say you're not quite like the annoying that your son is talking about, it's going to get actually personal and then it's going to hurt.
1: It is. It is. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. It tends to be pretty short lived. And usually what gets kids through it is by 14 they start to feel separate and individual. That They've done the separation individuation work. So, for instance, um, you know, especially when they get into high school, they often have their own interests. They're often able to develop things pretty significantly. So maybe you are not musical at all, but maybe your kid becomes musical. So now they have a thing that's just theirs. It has nothing to do with you. And then suddenly you become a lot more bearable because now they have separated. Now they have individuated. Mm -hmm. Now they are their own person. And so... The really good news in this is that it doesn't last all that long, that it's a, it can often be a very spicy and very taxing year. It is typically followed by an easing. It is typically followed by kids finding us actually not so bad after all or not feeling like our dorky shoes have anything to do with them, right, that that's really where it shifts. And I think the other thing, though, that makes 13 so hard is – you know, suddenly your kid hits 13, they become highly emotional. They become unbelievably testy and snarky in ways that you just have not seen anything like it before. And a lot of parents understandably feel like 13 is the beginning of adolescence, right? It's the first age with a teen at the end. And parents who have been bracing themselves for adolescence are like, this is how we start? this is the starting gate? Like, what happens next? You know, And they imagine this accelerating course of emotionality and snarkiness. And so the really important news is to know, no, you come out of the gate really fast. And then it tends to downregulate. They tend to be better at managing emotion. They tend to not find us so bothersome. And I just, um, sometimes I think about like, if I could if I could hire airplanes to fly over major American cities with banners behind them. You know, One banner would be, OK, guys, adolescence begins at 11. You know, and we've talked about that. They will close <laughs> yes, their doors. Yes. Don't wait till 13. They start at 11. And emotionality peaks at 13. And, and I, I wish, I wish, I guess this, this podcast is our airplane banner, right? These are the things I
0: want parents to know. That's so interesting. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. EarthBreeze EcoSheets look
1: just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, And yet, it leaves my clothes smelling so good, and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40%
0: off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. And they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age, that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa.
1: Slash
0: ask Lisa Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. So Lisa, what can parents do? There's got to be something. Like should we talk openly about this and let them know what they're going through? Is it even worth having that conversation? Have you found anything that really helps in the parent-child relationship at this stage? The
1: thing that helped, and this is personal, the thing that helped me was actually advice I got from a friend, a really good mom who I'm close with. And um When we were in the height of this, I said to my then 13-year-old daughter, I was like, okay, you've got three options for how you can interact with me. You can be friendly, you can be polite, or you can tell me you need some space. Those are the only possibilities here. And that kept me in a better place when what I really wanted to do was to get really mad or really hurt or really reactive, which is not to say I never did, Rena. <laughs> But when I pulled myself together, that was the fallback position that I learned from a friend and it was a huge help.
0: Mm. You know, something you said once at a um, talk that you gave here in Connecticut that I went to that I-, I used literally the next day was the glitter glass jar. My kids were like six and seven at the time <sighs> And they were melting down, and I could not understand, and they could not understand. Can you explain that glitter glass jar? Because we made it. We did that project, actually. I would love to, because honestly, that is probably
1: the heart, the neurological heart of 13 is the glitter jar story. So so here's the story, and it's a great story. So I um, used to travel <laughs> and go places, <laughs> and I... Um, was at this fantastic girls' school in Dallas. It's called Ursula in Dallas. And I was sitting around with the counselors, and we were talking about girls having meltdowns at school, which especially I think in all girls' environments, girls will have meltdowns at school. They'll just kind of lose it. And and I, I I say especially in all girls' environments because I think they may just feel more free <laughs> or something to just be themselves. <laughs> so I consult two days a week to a girls' school. These are you know fantastic team of women who work in a girls' school. Melting down is just part of what you do or what you take care of. And I was actually confessing my kind of helplessness in the face of these meltdowns at times. And one of the Dallas counselors says, oh, well, that's when I get out a glitter jar. And I thought, glitter jar? And she said, I'll go get you one. So she stands up to leave, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, whatever is coming back with this woman, I know I already hate it. And I was like... I was like, I hate it. Okay. Why did I hate it? One is it felt like pop psychology to me. I was like, I don't know what she's coming back with, but it does not sound like, you know, how what a snob I can be. It does not sound like the serious psychology that I was trained in. And the other thing, Rena, we could have an entire podcast about this. I hate glitter. Do you have <laughs> glitter feelings
0: as a mother? It's so funny. I feel like, I know I'm, I'm passing judgment on gender here, but I feel like so many girls, like little girls just love glitter. That's all they love. Even oh. my son loves it too, you know, arts and crafts. But it gets everywhere. It's it absolutely gets annoying. everywhere. It gets
1: everywhere. And one mom said to me, oh yeah, glitter, it's the STD of craft supplies. <laughs> That's was so like, well said. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's why I hate glitter. So I'm like, I hate glitter. So she comes back in. I'm trying to not look like the cynic that I am. And she has a jar. It's glass, clear glass. It's filled with water and the lid is glued on. And at the bottom, there's like two tablespoons of sparkly purple glitter. And she sits down and she shakes it fiercely like a snow globe. And then she says, when a girl comes into my office falling apart, I do this, you know, she shakes it. And then she puts this glitter jar down on the table in front of us. And it's swirling, like you can't even see through it at all. And then she says, I say to her, honey, this is your brain right now. So first, let's settle your glitter. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, this is a perfect model of the neurology of the adolescent brain, the 13 year old brain in particular. And this woman is a full on genius. Like this is Hmm. the smartest thing I have ever seen. So the deal here, it's it's the model of what we described at the beginning, which yeah. is in the course of adolescence, the brain remodels. It becomes more powerful, faster, quicker. And this process goes from back to front. Everything in the brain in terms of, you know, development goes from back to front. So the emotion centers are in the back of the brain. They're in this primitive region of the brain. They get upgraded first. The reasoning centers, the perspective maintaining centers, the frontal lobes, those are in the front of the brain. They get upgraded last. And so there is this horrible juncture, and I really think it centers right at 13, when their brains are super gawky. The emotion centers are super powered and really, um, you know, much more fast and powerful. And the ability to maintain perspective is just weak relative to that. So the the way this looks in real life is, that when your kid is calm he or she can outreason you like the, and this is true and when they become upset the emotion centers are so powerful that they can just take down the whole system and take down the reasoning system and then the way i have blown it for years and what i learned from this woman is i try to talk to a kid in that state right yeah. <laughs> what'd you do wrong? You should calm down, which I now realize in retrospect is the equivalent of shaking the glitter jar. Mm. So what she taught me is give them a chance to re-regulate. Give the brain a chance to come back into balance. And what is extraordinary, with or without showing a kid a glitter jar, what is extraordinary, if you just say, let's just take a minute, Right. Or do you want to go for a walk or do you want some water just to give them a chance to come back into regulation, to let that glitter settle? When I have done that, one of two things always happens. Sometimes that solves the problem because the problem was that they became dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And then it's over and there's nothing to be said. The kid's just like, okay, that was super weird. Thanks for riding it out with me. It's over. Yeah, And sometimes, if there's something to be solved, well, now you have their frontal lobes back online, you've got a rational human being in front of you, you have an even shot of sorting it out.
0: Mm. I love that. And you know what it is I also love about your philosophy is explaining this to children. It makes them more aware of what's going on. So they kind of understand it. And that the glitter jar really helped. It helped diffuse tension, because I, I I would just say glitter jar, and they got it. You know, they understood, because we had talked about it.
1: I love that. I love that. And actually, I usually am not someone to say to teenagers, oh, well, it's your brain that's making you act like this, or it's your hormones, because they usually find it pretty um, dismissive when adults yeah. say that. Yeah. But the exception, actually, is to inform a, once calm, once they are calm, inform an adolescent about the neurological gawkiness, because my experience is that helps them to feel less um, out of control. It strikes them as very strange that they become so dysregulated. And so to say, look, here's the deal, you know, you're kind of in this awkward brain phrase. It's not entirely, you know, your fault. You can't really do anything about it. We'll just ride it out. Your brain will actually, you know, get better into balance. That is the rare time where I have found offering a neurological um, account of something, to be
0: really, really welcome by a teenager. In the last few minutes here, Lisa, could you just sort of tell us the difference between boys and girls? W- what do we need to look out for? What are the age differences? I know you touched on it a little bit, but it might help some parents to, yeah, you know, I with think, gender.
1: And let's assume it kind of centers on 13, you know, like if we look okay. at the broad averages. But I, I think the gender piece plays out in a couple ways. Um, we know that girls as a group are cultivated to be more verbal and to talk about feelings more than boys in our society. They're not Mm. born with that ability. We socialize it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of parents of 13-year-old boys will talk instead about their boy becoming quite angry, um, sometimes physical or shutting down, whereas their daughter may become more expressively upset. So I think there's that. Um, I also think that sometimes the separation individuation piece looks really different daughters and sons. So I think that quality of um, sometimes when you're the mother of a 13 year old girl, everything you do is annoying, but your husband somehow is off the hook. And and I think it's sometimes that sense of like, well, the girl doesn't have to work so hard to be separate from him. She's already a girl and he's a boy, like they're already separate. And um, I think the way this plays out in a lot of homes for the moms who figure this out is they start saying to their, like, you know, for presuming a heterosexual relationship, they start saying to their husband, um, you need to go tell her yes. <laughs> uh, to clean her room. You need to go tell her <laughs> because they know that the kid won't lose it in the same way. Yep. I think with boys, what's interesting is same deal. Like the need to be separate from mom is not as um, ripe for them because they're already separate she's a girl he's a boy and I think what's interesting with boys is it can be a time where dads and boys can start to have new things they connect around that feel neutral I mean often sports right watching sports or playing sports becomes a way that they can move Mm -hmm. into a new version of the boy that feels older and cool Mm -hmm. Um, and not but not charged in an uncomfortable way so it it can have this sort of different landscape based on gender but the heart of it is they are emotional they are trying to be separate and parents are freaked out because it is a fast start
0: it is It is. But you know what? I feel so much better hearing this from you because it feels like it might potentially be manageable. That might be me being a naive mom with a 10 and an 8-year-old.
1: It's going to be manageable. Rena, we'll get you through it.
0: (laughs) You always do, Lisa. You always do. And what is your parenting to go this week? Everyone is allowed do-overs is my parenting (laughs) to go. So especially with
1: 13-year-olds, things can get pretty hot. Kids can say things they regret. Parents can say things they regret. It is not always worth it to try to unpack and figure out what that was all about it can sometimes be very helpful to all parties to say okay that went horribly can we just take it again can we just pretend that didn't happen and start again you start or I'll start but we're just gonna let that pass go that was not good we're just gonna
0: have a do-over and you get a chance to do it again do it again love that I will see you next week see you next week thanks Lisa and we'll have a brand new episode next week talking about difficult relatives and how to manage them during the holidays. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to Lisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.